today, uh, starting next week, we're gonna we're gonna start getting into um, the series that's just coming up next is end times prophecies in the church. Uh, I've been asked for a long time to, to talk about this because things going on. I, I, I hate talking about end times. I really do uh, because no one knows anything. Uh, the Bible even tells us we don't know. We think we know. We're pretty sure we know. There's some guy on YouTube with a dry erase board or a chalkboard. They, they know, you know, uh, we don't know here. Essentially what's going to end up happening is Jesus is going to show up. And we're going to go, huh? Didn't see that coming. And, and, and then that's, that's it. That's, that's pretty much how it goes. But we're going to look into what the Bible does teach us and what we can know and how we can apply it to our lives. So that's going to be starting next week. So today, uh, I had a couple of messages in between, uh, in between series that I wanted to do of things that came, came to me over the summer that I, that I wanted to spend some time talking about. <clears throat> and today's the last one of those. And this is the power of humility. And, um, there's, <laughs> whenever you talk about humility, there's, there's always like a degree of arrogance that's just natural, natural in it, you know? So like, today we'll be talking about my immense humility. Uh, uh, no, that's actually, that's actually not what we're doing. Well, all I want to do today is I want to talk about humility, but in the context of how important it is to try to walk in it and, and the difference between what humility is and what humility isn't. We have a messed up view of humility, and I, I think that's just from a long, uh, a long history of looking at it, I, I think, upside down. But you'll, you'll understand what I mean here. Um, humility is one of those things, one of those traits that we see in the Bible that we all believe we have and we're all wrong. Uh, you know, you talk to people about humility because we think we have, have humility. Um, and we all do and we all don't. We all have humility in some areas and there's other areas where we don't, where we struggle in it. All of us have, have struggles in this area in one way, shape, or form. It's just a matter of being able to identify those areas and then work on them. But one of the most amazing powers... Of humility, in my opinion, this is my opinion, is its connection to forgiveness and its connection to being hurt and offense and how pride can actually lead us into being hurt and, and, uh, and offended, but humility can actually shelter us from offense and hurt. If we actually look at this thing, I think correctly. Um, so let me give you an example. Um, have you ever known anyone other than yourself? Obviously, obviously today I'm talking about other people. Um, now, one thing I do want to point out is today I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking specifically about people within the church. The idea of biblical humility and godly humility does not apply to anyone outside the church. It only applies to those who identify themselves as Christians. So that's what I want to look at today. So obviously this has never happened to you, but have you ever been offended and the person responsible had no clue that it even happened? No clue. Yet you've been mad at them for years over the thing they know nothing about. Because you've never actually talked to them about it. You see, pride will tell you to keep it to yourself and don't make a scene. Not humility. Pride will tell you to keep it to yourself and don't make a scene. See, humility allows you to actually walk up to the person and face-to-face, not via text, FaceTime or Instagram or anything. Humility makes you go to that person before you go to somebody else to make sure you're thinking about it right. This is just another way that we gossip. We go to someone, I want to make sure that I'm thinking about this correctly. No, you're not. You want a supporter. (laughs) That's what you want. See, humility makes you go to that person face to face and give them a chance to make it right. 
pride will keep you from doing that because pride also lets you know that if you do go, you may have to admit you're wrong. And you may have to apologize for being offended by them because they did nothing to offend you. You decided to be offended. And you may actually have to take the apologetic role. Whoops. Humility will force you to do that. Pride will keep you from it. Have you ever been at work or on a team where a decision is coming? You know a decision is being made. Someone's going to be promoted. You know, someone's going to get the lead part in the play or something like that. You're at school. You're in a group, and it's really awesome. And there's a decision coming, and you're not the one who gets to make the decision, but you've made the decision for the person who's going to make the decision. You already know what should happen, how things should be arranged. You've got it all worked out. If they would just listen to you, it would all be good. And then it happens. They, the infamous they, who are the ones responsible for the decision, have made a decision that does not align with the decision that you never shared with them, and now you're mad about the thing you never told them. (laughs) And now you're offended because the thing you never discussed with them is something that they didn't do because they don't read minds. You see what happens? You see, pride got in front. Humility waits in the back to see what happens. Because at the end of the day, you know, Roger, this has probably never happened at work, right? With any, any employer in here, it's never happened with any of your employees where they have decided how you should run your business for their benefit, Right? Then they get mad when the person responsible for the outcome actually makes the decision. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible reality. See, it's the pride that led you to the offense. And one of the things that we have to be very careful of is sometimes that pride, if we're not careful, will keep us from forgiveness. See, because you're convinced you didn't do anything wrong and therefore the person who wronged you over the thing that they didn't even know was supposed to happen is never going to apologize for you because they don't even actually know what happened. So you're carrying an offense and unforgiveness that makes you out of line and out of step with God. See, in that point, the devil won because the devil changed you. Did you hear it? The devil won because he changed you from not from the person that you know you should be into someone you know you shouldn't. But we blame other people because it's not our fault. Now, this is not to say that people don't offend you. People do dumb things. I do dumb things. I'm a walking offense. Trust me. I'm a minister. I make a habit. My whole life is about offending people. Every now and then it's kind of fun. One of the things you get used to doing as as a minister is learning to say, I'm sorry. Because sometimes you don't think about something. See, sometimes I can offend someone. I have no idea. Unless they tell me. And then I have a chance to apologize. Or help them understand what I was actually meaning. So we look at a couple of scriptures. First Peter three or first Peter five, verse five says, Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility 
For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have you ever been serving in the, in the church anywhere and all of a sudden, it, like you don't, you're not getting as far as you think you should? You're in, you're in a ministry group, you're, in, you're doing something, and some, like, like a door hasn't opened for you, and you think it should. I'm talented. I should be farther along with that. You know why it hasn't opened? Because of that view. God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Why is it that person that can't even do the thing that they're doing well is doing it where I would do it so much better? (laughs) That's why. (laughs) It's because that's your view. See, you valued yourself over everybody else. And your ability. And if God would just put you in charge, the whole world would get saved. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You notice he didn't say God resists the untalented and gives grace to the talented. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. How about Colossians 3.12? It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. You know that humility isn't something that happens by accident? doesn't happen by chance you don't stumble into humility you're not born humble okay anyone who's ever been a child should understand this you are not born humble right we're usually born greedy selfish and slightly destructive (laughs) right christy can vouch for this and so can all the ladies who clean the nursery and everything every week trust me you have to put on humility purposeful And and you do it at the moment where you have a moment, a prideful moment. Oh man, this is going to be crazy. Nah, not worth it. We put it on. We carry it with us. How about Philippians 2, 3, and 4? It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, uh, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you... Look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Selfish ambition and conceit is when you think that no one would do as good a job as you. Selfish ambition and conceit is when you believe you are the only one capable of making this happen. There are so many untalented people in this world. If I don't step up and do this, the church will crumble. Really? really? I have met more people like that in my life. Typically, when they get out of the way, the church flourishes. <laughs> because they're not wind in the sails. They're an anchor in the sea. And that's why our life gets stunted sometimes. Because we're convinced we are the cat's meow. Now, first off, I don't even like cats. Okay, so, just saying. We're just going there. As we look at the scriptures, what we can see is that one of the cores of humility is not how much we view ourselves. Please listen to this. The core of humility is not how we view ourselves, but how we value others. It's not how you view yourself. So one of the things people get caught up in is they think they need to think of themselves as less in order to be humble. In order to be humble, I have to be, I, I, can't be, I can't be skilled, can't be qualified, I can't be good at anything. Otherwise, I'm showy, get in the way. It's not how you view yourself, but it's how you value others. 
because I've known some incredibly humble people who are amazingly skilled and they know it, but that's not, that's, that's not a big thing for them. You think about this. How many of you have heard growing up in the church that in the service of the church in the service of the gospel, don't put your talent on full display. Don't put your talent on full display. I know you guys have heard it because we came from the same background. If you put your full talent on display, you're being prideful. You're being showy. You want to be noticed. But is that true? People aren't necessarily encouraged to not use their gifts, but they are encouraged and have been encouraged for decades, as far as I know in the church, to willfully hold back. You hear me? To willfully hold back. Now, as a guitar player, I, I heard this a lot growing up in the church, um, doing, uh, doing worship now for 26 years-ish. Been a Christian for 27 years, going on, going on 28. I've been doing ministry for a long time. And I've heard a very often, don't necessarily put your full giftings on display. That's not humble. Well, let me, let me, let's, let's think about something. How many of you are familiar with the name Lincoln Brewster? He's one of the best electric guitar players in Christian music. One of the, one of the best. He's got some amazing worship albums out. We, we've done some of, his, some of his songs. I've actually seen some of the behind-the-scenes stuff from him as well. And most of the people who hang out with him refer to him as a very humble man with the amount of skill that he, skill that he has. Now, this is a quick little video of him. Now, this is a video that he did in one take. It's actually a six-and-a-half-minute video. I don't have... Um, copyright permission to use all of it, so I got to be careful with what we use. Um, but he did this all in one take of one of his most popular worship songs, uh, new worship songs, and the entire band is gone. It's just him and his guitar. Okay, just give you a little idea of the, the level of talent that this guy has. There is no I could show him a couple things. <laughs> I could probably cook him a mean steak, but I'm not going to learn anything. From, I'm not going to show him anything. The guy's unbelievably talented. Now, when John Eastman comes up during, uh, during, during the summer, how many of you like the whole looping guitar thing, slapping on the guitar percussion thing that he does? It's kind of cool, isn't it? How many of you know who started that in the Christian music industry? Where that came from? There's one guitar player that most people today don't know because he doesn't push himself. He doesn't promote himself. He's one of the most popular guitar players in the world. And during an interview, when Jimi Hendrix was asked, what's it like to be the best guitar player in the world? 
His response was, I don't know. Go ask Phil Keggy. Now, Phil Keggy only has nine fingers. He's missing the middle finger on his, on his picking hand. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you a little video clip of him. Keep in mind, at this point, what you're about to see is a guy in his 70s. Okay? Okay? This is not the prime of his career, but most of you will recognize this song. worship team once went down to Buffalo and to a, a worship team conference. It was called the CMS conference. And a couple years in a row, Phil Keggy was there and he would do, he would do classes with groups. And the first year uh, I ended up way in, way in the back. The next year I planted myself right on the front row and I just waited like a half an hour until he got there. Now the cool thing about him, he walks in, he's shorter than I am. The guitar case is about the same size as him. And he just comes in, he's got his little train conductor hat on. He comes in, he sets his stuff down. He's like, hey, just a normal guy interacting with everybody. He sees me videotaping and, and stuff and he stops and he's like, you know, it's like I trans, I had that video saved everywhere. It's like, he said hi to me. You know, it's like the guy is one of the most prolific guitar players in the world. Lincoln Brewster is one of the most prolific guitar players in his genre in the world in Christian music. Now, let me ask you something. What if they dialed it down to five? Where would they be and where would the millions of people they have inspired to serve God at high levels be if they had chosen to dial it down for the sake of humility? Is that humility or is it false humility? It's false humility. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 25... Jesus talks about a landowner who goes away and he uh, gives three servants talents. I love the uh, talent it, in, in, in Jewish history is a term of money, but I love the way that it just, it's, it just says talent because we can apply it to what we do today. He gave them specific talents. Two of them put those talents to work. One of them hid their talent because they were afraid. Two of them put it to work. One of them hid it because it was afraid. They were afraid. Hiding it because you're afraid is pride. It's not humility. This is what, this is what the, the, uh, the, the Lord said to that person. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. He's saying, you didn't do anything with what I gave you. Nothing. 
You may have come back to me with exactly what I gave you, but you did nothing with what I gave you. The other two put it to work to its maximum level, to the maximum level of their abilities. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't this the opposite of what we see and what we're told so much about humility? You can't put your talent full on full display for the church. That's not very humble. People are going to be offended. They're going to feel bad. They're going to feel like they're lower than you. It's got nothing to do with how they view you. It has everything to do with how you view them. See the difference? I can't control how people view me. The only thing I can control is how I value them. And if I take what God has given me and I do not use it to my full potential, am I walking in humility or am I robbing God? Colossians 3, 22 and 24 reads like this. It says, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now listen to this. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. There are two keys in this passage. First, God fully intends that we take what he gave us and we use it to its max. To its max. We put it to work. We do it as unto God. Lord, I'm going to bring you a full 50%. All 50 is yours. Yep. Lord, I'm going to tithe my talent. You're going to get 10% of the best I have. (laughs) Wow. God's thinking, thanks. (laughs) It's great. As opposed to, I will wear myself out in service of you. Right? This is what God is telling us to do. The second thing that we can see in this passage is where we expect to get recognized. Where we expect to get recognized. See, this is the difference between functioning at a high level with both skill and humility. It's in where you expect to get recognized. We get recognized by the Lord. We get rewarded by the Lord. Our reward is the service itself sometimes. We don't have to do anything for the Lord, but we get to. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't need us, but we get to do amazing things for him. The question is whether or not those amazing things are going to be enough. We give our all knowing that the recognition comes from the Lord. Because we know that being aware of our skill level, please hear this. Being aware of your skill level is not pride. Demanding that others are aware of your skill level <laughs> is pride. Have you ever had this thought? I don't know why they wouldn't ask for my help. They know I'm really good at this. Anyone other than me ever had that thought? It's not humility. I'm so humble. I could do amazing things for them. Good for you. 
That's great. Maybe they just wanted to do it themselves. <laughs> Maybe they wanted to develop their own skill level. Why does it got to be you? It's because we valued our ability over theirs. The other thing that might be happening is maybe you're not as skilled as you think you are. <laughs> it, it happens, folks. Sometimes we view what we do, and it's just not quite that great. I used to have to judge cooking contests uh, in, in, in different places. It was uh, it's kind of fun, sort of, because you got to taste everything. That, that can be fun. Sometimes it can be really tragic. And you got people who are so proud of a dish sometimes. This has been in my family for generations. Typically when I hear that, I think, oh God, what is about to happen? They have invited me to their house to share with me this sacred family recipe. Lord, where you lead, I will follow. And what they feed me, I will swallow. Guard my insides, Lord. Guard my insides. Hedge of protection. That's what I'm looking for. Sometimes it's amazing. Other times it's amazing. Right? (laughs) Just saying. It happens. So the thing we have to remember when we're trying to function at a high level, because that's godly. Functioning at a high level with the skill God gives you is an area of humility. Because you've put away your own desire to run and hide. You've been, you, put, you put yourself out there. You put the thing God gave you on display and you don't know how people are going to react to it. That's a level of humility. But you also want to not force people to praise you. And I, I, in my own opinion, the best way to, to, to walk that line out is to remember one very important thing. And I'd like us to all say this at the same time. You ready? It's... Not about you. It's not about you. Unless it's your wedding and then it's just the wife. And it is about her. And if you're thinking about getting married, future husbands, you need to understand this. It's about her, not you. You're along for the ride. Just shut up and do what you're told. Some of you are laughing. Those of you who have been there have been like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Let me explain it this way. You may be the most talented and still not get picked. You may be honestly called and not get the position you think you should get. You may be loyal and dedicated and still not get the promotion or the notoriety. But our humility comes out best when we don't get what we think we deserve. Comes out in how we react to that. When you are convinced you deserve this and it doesn't happen, one of two things is going to rear its head, pride or humility. How you react to that is going to depend. And here's a really quick litmus test. If you want to know if you're walking in pride or humility, Can you be happy for the person who got what you think you deserve? Can you be as happy for them as you would like them to be happy for you if the roles were reversed? If the answer is yes, good for you. But too often in our life, that answer is no. 
because they stole it from you. They have what I should have. Uh, you sure? Because God resists the proud. <laughs> Maybe they were a little less skilled, but humble. So God decided to promote the one that wasn't going to make it about them. He promoted the one who made it about him. See the difference? These are important things for us to remember. Because this is how God works. See, quite often, this is when we start getting into the forgiveness side. Quite often, the people that we believe hurt us, they hurt me. They didn't actually hurt you. They hurt, I'm going to try to say this carefully, they hurt the expectations that you unjustly placed on them. They hurt the expectations that you unjustly put on them. I didn't get the promotion. I deserve that promotion. I quit. Who'd you hurt? You, because you're broke. So you place yourself above others. And we're told not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. These types of things happen on teams, places of employment, families, all the time. 90% of the time when I deal with people who have an offense against somebody else in the church, it comes down to this. I deserved this and I didn't get it. I didn't get picked for this. I didn't get picked for that. Well, the reality is, maybe you just didn't get picked. Isn't that okay? Think about this. When we decide what should happen, even when the decision isn't ours, and the person who gets to make the decision makes a different choice, without our approval or our permission... (laughs) We fail to recognize the part our pride played in our offense. Now, obviously, this doesn't happen all the time, but predominantly, this is what I find. Our pride has put us in a place where we are primed and ready to go for an offense. One thing's going to happen. Either I'm going to get the thing that I deserve, or I'm going to be mad at everyone who didn't give it to me. Those are your two choices? Seriously? (laughs) That's awesome. Good for you. We need to talk. And we get offended for all the wrong reasons. Or worse, we end up loading ourselves down with unforgiveness for an offense that may not have even happened towards a person who may not even be guilty. So I was was, uh, watching, I was just skipping through YouTube, and I came across this weird Mike Tyson interview. And I'm not a boxing fan, trust me, and I'm not a Mike Tyson fan either. I think his voice is hysterical given the size of him, but that's just something completely different. Get someone that big thing. Hi, hello, I'm Mike Tyson. I'm going to beat you up. There's just something really funny about that. But he's mentoring this other young boxer. And this boxer says, you know, when people wrong me, I just write them out of my life. Just write them out of my life. And it was weird hearing this. Mike Tyson, he says, the devil wins when you do that. I was like, okay, I need to listen to the rest of this. He goes, the devil wins. He goes, no, no, no. Are you saying that I just need to be the bigger man? And I need to just take the offense? He goes, no, no, no. The devil won because the devil changed you. 
See, the devil changed you, and now you're serving him by writing people out of your life who might be able to speak into your life for something that could usually easily be fixed. You see? We've primed ourselves for an offense. We allow the offense to change who the offense to change who we are. The devil wins. And we become more and more and more divided over nothing because of our pride. In those cases, you actually don't even have the right to be offended because you actually created the opportunity for the offense. And in truth, the only person who should apologize is you to the person who you feel offended to because you created this. There's a profound difference between being wronged by the actions of another and choosing to be wronged by your own actions. Pretty profound difference. We live in a world that is perpetually offended. Perpetually offended. Colleges make me sick today with all the safe spaces. You shouldn't get to use words like can't, absolute terms, because they don't exist. I need a, I need a, I need a soft romper room to go, go hide, hide in because I'm so offended that the world is the world and, and the world doesn't agree with everything that I say. What happens if you get 10, 10 offended people who are offended because everyone doesn't agree with them and they get into a room and they don't agree with each other? Do you need a safe, pace, safe place for the safe place? And this, this rabbit hole is just, just unbelievable. And we do this because we foolishly think that it's about us. We foolishly think that our opinions and our needs and our wants and our desires are more important than everybody else's. But that's not what scripture tells us, what scripture tells us to do. In Romans 12, 1 through 18, it reads like this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and, and, and the perfect will of God. We usually stop there. But watch what happens when we continue. Remember, all of this is about renewing your mind. Everything we're about to read is about renewing your mind, how we need to change the way we think. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There's, there's a definition of humility right there. But to think soberly as God has dealt with each one of you according to a measure of faith. One of the ways that we learn to renew our mind is to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to value others over ourselves. To think soberly means to think clearly. And basically what he's talking about there is you may have skills and you may have plans and you may have ideas, but God has plans as well. And he has plans for your skills. He has plans for your life. And your plans have to yield to his that's thinking soberly thinking clearly our skill set does not place us above or below anybody else no matter what our task is our goal should be to do the best with the task that is placed before us and not get distracted by the tasks that other people are doing a lot of times when i talk about this subject i get asked this question so i figured i'd just deal with it, it says isn't it really unfair for you to tell us to be happy where we are in service to the lord while you're standing on the on the pulpit as a pastor you know, you get to do all the fun stuff. You get to do all the important stuff. Isn't it unfair for you to tell us to be happy where we are while you're there? You know, it's a fair question. It's unfortunately a naive question at the same time because the role of pastor does not carry value. We, we really need to understand this. The role of pastors does not carry value. I'm not, I'm not in a position of value. I'm in a position of responsibility. That's the difference. 
God has not placed a greater value on me. I'm just in a position with a different level of responsibility. I'm responsible for pastoring this church. And if God tells me tomorrow that I need to go do something else, guess what? That's what I'm going to do. Now, I'm not updating my resume. I'm not looking for anything. I may have gone to the Ark Encounter, but I didn't put in an application this trip. (laughs) We are where God places us. And where we are and where God places us does not have any bearing on our value. It's just a level of responsibility that God has placed in your hand at that time because that's what you've been willing to accept. I accepted the responsibility that came with this. I didn't go looking for it. In fact, I tried to get away from it. When Dick Beaumont went to Oswego, I had already talked to the company that I was working with to transfer to go with him because I was going to get out of the North Country. Woo! (laughs) Poo. I was talking to a guy at the last pastor's conference and he lives in Montana and he was asking me where I live. I said, I live in Tug Hill. One of the, you know, uh, um, if you haven't heard of it, it's one of the snowiest places in the continental United States. He goes, oh, wow, we get a lot of snow in Montana too. So how much do you get? Uh, uh, I said, well, how much do you get? He goes, we get about 70 inches a year. <laughs> I was like, that's so cute. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> now, if you go up to Old Forge, inside the uh, Old Forge um, uh, public building, there's a chart of snow. It goes back a lot of years and it can range from 390 inches. Yes, that was 390 inches. I think one of the years, I think the lowest year I saw was like 280 or something like that. Seriously? 120 inches is 10 feet. That's twice my size. So I told him like the color drained out of his face. And in his big Southern, Southern Baptist voice, he goes, my goodness. <laughs> I asked him if he might be willing to come up here and he goes, not in the winter. <laughs> in verse four, it starts reading like this. It says, for as we have many members, we are one body. But all the members do not have the same function. One body, different members, not all the members have the same function. So if we're going to place value on function, how many of you are willing to cut something out of your body right now because it doesn't have the same value because it didn't have a good function? I mean, your hand is obviously less important than your eye. How many of you want to lop off your hand? None of us do. We value our body equally. We just know that different parts have different jobs. So we being many in one body and individually members of one another, having the gifts according to the, to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in portion to the faith. If ministry, let it, let it use us in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What has God placed in front of you? That's my question for you today. What has God placed in front of you? You notice I didn't ask if you liked it. I'm simply asking, what has God placed in front of you? And have you even given that any thought? Are you willing to give your all no matter what you're doing? So here's a quick example. Um, Some of you know this, some of you don't. I have never wanted to be a public speaker. I went to culinary school to hide in a kitchen because I did not want to deal with people 
But every job I had in the restaurant industry, I was, always, I was either training people, teaching classes, or dealing with customers because nobody else was wanting to do it. So fine, someone had to do it, so I did. I hated every minute of it. I still, I don't get up in the morning and go, can't wait to preach. <laughs> they go, well, haven't you developed a joy for it now? No, I've developed a level of understanding of what I have to do. I do this because this is where God has placed me. And I believe God has placed me here specifically because I, this isn't something that I really wanted to do. So I have to rely on him to do it. God's really funny. Now, I know that God has placed me here for one reason. Because I'm not the best at what I do, but I give my best. I'm not the best at what I do. I simply give my best. I do my best to prepare. I do my best to understand. I do my best to study. I do my best to present. I, I, I try to learn. I try to understand. I try to develop skill levels that are useful in this thing that God has me in. Not because I have to be the best, but I need to do my best where, for where God has me. And I've done that no matter where I've been in the church for the last 27 years. I became a worship leader because I used to coil the cables up behind the worship team so that they had a clean stage. I didn't care if I was on the team. I just wanted to, wanted to help. And I've been doing that since I've been, since I've been involved in ministry. We don't have to be the best. We just need to do our best. And let God get the glory for it. I'm going to finish with this section here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. My eyes are not, my friend. Be kindly and affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving hospi- uh, uh, given to hospitality. Listen to this. Remember, this is all about renewing the way we think in terms of humility. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't look for the position. Do not be wise in your own opinion. There's always someone smarter than we are. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I can tell you this. I'm going to finish with this. I can tell you this. After being in ministry, in, very, in active ministry, and I mean regularly teaching for over 25 years now, I've been pastoring for the last 11. I was the assistant pastor for four before that. I have had my share of evil tossed at me. This is how you learn to walk in humility. I have had my share of evil tossed at me. At this point today, I'm very rarely surprised at the new rumor. There's always something. Because trust me, I've always offended someone. Or the casual lie disguised as sharing a concern. It's usually about me that the person sharing it ends up never talking to me, but I always find out. Because a lot of times, here's something you should probably know, the person you're sharing your lie with might care about me more than you do. To which they will come to me themselves and say, I talked to, to, to someone, and you always know who they are. 
and they share it with you. Some are pretty creative. Some are funny. They used to make me mad. Most of it, honestly, is just sad. Because that's pride. Remember we talked about this right in the beginning. Humility takes you to the person. Pride forces you to decide all of their reasons for the thing that they did that they don't even know they did. You start determining all the reasons why they were wrong. But what I found over the years is that I have no ability to control how people respond or react to me. I have no ability to control that, none. So I made a pact with myself to stop trying. All I can do is control how I respond and react to others. For as much as it depends on me, I will live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on me. Can't do anything for anybody else. And here's the reality. It's not easy. It's not fair. But if I give in to my pride and I choose to view my brothers and sisters in Christ through the lens of my own failed expectations that I have unjustly placed on them, the devil wins and I change into someone I don't want to be. That's what happens. Instead, I choose to remember that no one has ever failed No one has ever failed me to the level to which I have failed Christ. Say that again. No one has ever failed me to the level that I have that I have failed Christ. And because he still loves and forgives me, I can love and forgive them.